From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm David Schultz. So let's talk about what's going on up on Capitol Hill, or rather, what's not going on. Last fall, House Democrats passed the president's roughly $2 trillion Build Back Better bill, which contained numerous provisions that would raise taxes on corporations and wealthy individuals. Build Back Better then moved across the rotunda to the U.S. Senate, and since then, well, not much. Senator Joe Manchin, a West Virginia Democrat, balked at the bill's price tag, and since Democrats need every single one of their members to pass a bill, that means Build Back Better is basically in limbo. But here's the thing. The tax provisions in the bill aren't what's holding it up, it's the spending. That means it's entirely possible that later this year we could see a pared-down version of Build Back Better with all of the tax hikes land on President Biden's desk. But of course, it's also possible that won't happen. If the Build Back Better bill would raise your taxes, what are you supposed to do? That's the question we are going to be posing on today's episode of the podcast. We'll be hearing from two attorneys who work on these issues, one for corporations and the other for individuals. And let's start on the individual side. Laura Zwicker is a partner at the firm Greenberg Glusker, who works on private client services. She spoke with Bloomberg Tax's Jeff Leon about what she's advising her wealthy clients to do and about what's actually in the Build Back Better bill. We got sort of a sneak preview of what significant tax reform would look like um, with the introduction of the Build Back Better Act in September. Um, And it sort of had a wish list of tax changes that are complicated, difficult for the layman and maybe even the congressman to understand, um, but would actually substantially alter the tax landscape for the ultra-wealthy. So the changes to the grantor trust treatment, um, the changes to duration of generation skipping transfer tax um, application to dynasty trusts, all of those would substantially um, alter the way the ultra-wealthy transfer wealth at minimal tax. So what we've been hearing about, the concerns that we hear about from our clients are well, okay, it's stalled now, and those provisions were removed from the version of the Build Back Better Act that was passed by the House in November, but it gives us a sneak preview into where they may want to go and what kind of planning can I do in light of that sneak preview. So how are you advising clients during this time? So most of our clients are entrepreneurs of one kind or another, so they're used to evaluating business risk. So what I like to do is to explain um, what their current structure looks like, what the options are for additional planning, and what the wish list that we saw in the September version of the Act would do to their planning, and then talk about risks and likelihoods Um, and, you know, work with them to make a reasoned business decision about what sort of planning they're willing to take on and what sort of planning is too risky um, for them. So you deal with a lot of clients who do business abroad or live abroad. What elements have you noticed there recently, and how has the bill impacted these taxpayers? What we're seeing is a lot of clients moving more rapidly abroad um, because we could all work from wherever we wanted to work from. We all sort of realized that. Um, And 
we used to see ultra high net worth clients moving and acquiring assets abroad with a lot of forethought and a lot of planning with the appropriate teams in place. And what we're seeing is people moving quickly um, and not getting the advanced planning in place. And we've seen it with our US-based clients moving abroad or acquiring residences abroad. Um, and we've also seen it with new clients coming into the US with European structures that work great in Europe and are a disaster in the US. So the sort of pandemic has caused this sort of feeling that you can be anywhere without appropriate tax advice around it. Are there any chances that smaller portions of the Democrats' tax agenda could hit the books, even if the bill is stalled? And what could potentially arrive? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the Democrats and the White House have signaled that they'd love to have at least some part of this bill pass. And the question is, what do Christian Cinema and um, Joe Manchin think about that? <laughs> and what parts are they willing to um, give on? And the problem is they're not aligned, which makes it threading the needle even harder. So Christian Cinema was fine with the billionaires surtax um, that Wyden proposed back in October. But Manchin was completely against that. And Manchin has signaled he's okay with some um, income tax rate hikes on corporations and the ultra wealthy. And Kristen Cinema says absolutely not. Um, so what's interesting is nobody has focused back on these gift and estate tax issues, the grantor trust treatment. Neither Manchin nor Cinema focused on um, a lot because they're complicated. Um, certainly for my clients I and myself, I hope nobody goes back to those, but that would be a way to raise revenue fairly quickly um, and wouldn't be in the crosshairs of either the, the firm statements that Joe Manchin has made or the firm statements that Kristen Cinema has made, so they don't have to lose face when they allow something like that to pass. So um, that's my nightmare but it seems like it's a possibility. Now, if you could wave a magic wand and resolve the situation, what would you like to see happen? This is sort of a truism in, in the business world, but also in the tax world. We'd like to see certainty. When I first started practicing, we'd had a really consistent gift in estate tax law for a really, really long time. And it made it possible to advise our clients in a meaningful way for clients to make meaningful decisions about their estate planning and to transfer wealth knowing that, you know, we, we had clients pay estate tax all the time. It's less expensive to pay um, gift tax and estate tax. We'd, we'd like our clients to pay gift tax. We'd like to start setting up those transactions again, but with so much uncertainty, we really can't. And so what I'd really like to see is certainty. You know, if we're going to go with the September um, version of the Build Back Better Act, I'd like to know that so that we can plan for it. If we're not, I'd like to know that so we can plan for it. Um, so really some certainty for our clients um, and, and for the tax planners would be terrific. And no more of these, you know, December 31st changes <laughs> makes everybody's lives crazy. That was Laura Zwicker, a partner at the firm Greenberg Glusker. Now we go from the individual to the corporation. Sarah Brody is a tax partner with the firm Morgan Lewis, and she spoke with Bloomberg Tax's David Hood about what her clients are doing, or maybe not doing, to prepare for the passage of Build Back Better. I actually haven't seen too many companies 
doing anything that they wouldn't otherwise be doing. Um, the only case in which Build Back Better has really affected behavior is we have one case where a corporate partner is in a partnership with some individuals and the individuals, if we don't do anything, are going to experience a pretty significant timing detriment. So they're going to get a whole bunch of income that economically, arguably, they should be recognizing in a future year. And, you know, the individuals are upset about this. They want to try to push the income into the future year by perhaps modifying the agreement. And, you know, that's a little surprising to us. We would have thought maybe they would actually want the income in 2021 rather than 2022 or later because because um, the rates for individuals look like they might be going up. So you said that you, you haven't seen any kind of behavior change thus far. Um, why is that? Is there an expectation that um, it will pass like eventually or parts of it will pass eventually? Like what is the sort of thinking there? Yeah, so I don't think anyone really knows. Like people have speculation, but I don't think anyone is confident that this thing is going to go. And I don't think anyone's confident that it's not going to go. The other aspect of that is that the changes that are affecting companies that I work with a lot aren't that big. Um, they tend to be just like, you know, adding the 3.8% net investment tax to certain partnership income that didn't used to be subject to it, things like that. So it's not like, it's not a huge change that people are, are in a panic to avoid. Yeah, talk, talk about, talking about M&A um, for, for, for a bit here, um, we do live in a taxpayer, you know, favorable environment right now. So to, to what effect uh, is deal making spurred by tax friendly environment might change? So I don't know how much the current sort of low tax environment that we're in is driving things. I mean, it definitely doesn't hurt. Um, one interesting aspect of planning generally is I don't think that very many people expect the corporate rate to stay at 21%. You know, in the next 10 years, I don't think anyone would bet that it'll still be 21% 10 years from now. And so that is sort of an impediment to deals involving C-corporations. And like I have a private equity client that is acquiring a C-corporation and, you know, we're thinking about how to deal with that. Like, do we just leave the C-corp in place? And at 21%, leaving the C-corp there is totally reasonable because the, you know, the total tax burden is not that much more than it would be if you just had a pure pass-through. But, you know, what you have to tell the client is 21% may not last forever. And if you get a C-corp in your structure, and the corporate tax rate goes up, that's going to be that's going to be more and more of a drag the higher the corporate rate goes. Is was there like a, a sigh of relief that that some of these aggressive provisions were sort of being dropped and not going to be considered? Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, <laughs> certainly in our in our office, but that's just because that's what we do all day. So some of our most sophisticated clients who use partnerships a lot were also doing the same sort of close watching of those bills. Uh, my, my my favorite question that I ask in interviews is uh, it's sort of my crystal ball question. It's like, uh, what uh, what changes do you expect in, in sort of the next draft? And, you know, how are you advising your clients uh, accordingly? I mean, the only sort of crystal ball kind of insight that I have is that taxes are probably going to go up in the future. It's hard to imagine a world in which that's not true. 
you know, Build Back Better is an interesting look into at least what the Democratic caucus views as as reasonable and acceptable ways to increase taxes. And so I certainly wouldn't be surprised if if a lot of the stuff that was in there does end up getting, you know, getting recycled into whatever new bill they have. But in terms of what makes it in, I mean, you know, the experience in 2017 of the TCJA kind of shows that you can get a lot of sort of random stuff getting thrown in at the last minute. So it's hard. It's hard to know. That was Sarah Brody with the firm Morgan Lewis speaking with David Hood. Before that, you heard Laura Zwicker with Greenberg Glusker speaking with Bloomberg Taxes Jeff Leon. And that will do it for today's episode of Talking Tax. You can find up-to-the-minute news on the latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. Today's Talking Tax was produced by myself, David Schultz, and Patrick Ambrosio. Patrick Ambrosio is our editor, and our executive producer is Josh Block. From Washington, I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening. The number of words in the tax code is estimated to be 1 million, about the same length as the entire Harry Potter series. Add in IRS regs, rev rulings, and case law, and it can be a lot. We all need a little help to sort it out. Each week on the Tax Girl podcast, I talk to the best in the business. And these aren't crazy technical dives. They're interesting and easy to digest looks at topics that matter to you. It's all that you need to stay ahead on the most important tax issues. You can subscribe to the podcast for free on taxgirl.com because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't be.